I have used a lot of commerce platforms in the past. By far, the most robust is Shopify. No matter how complex your business needs and no matter how large your business grows, Shopify can handle it. And they do handle it for brands like Rothy's, Ruggable, Allbirds, Knox, Magnolia, Brooklinen, Glossier, and Cotton, to name a few. You may already use another e-commerce platform and you may be super unhappy with it, but you've already put a lot of work into it and migrating to Shopify could seem impossible. But I'm here to tell you that it is quite easy. When I migrated to Shopify back in 2022, their apps and tools meant I just had to make a few clicks and everything was ported over as if by magic. Shopify also lets you design your storefront however you like, which from personal experience I know isn't the case for many other commerce platforms out there. All these features and all this control can result in more sales more often. So stop leaving sales on the table, switch your business to Shopify today, and discover why millions trust Shopify as their all-in-one commerce platform to build, grow, and run their businesses. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial at shopify.com forward slash practical, all lowercase. That's one month for just $1 at shopify.com forward slash practical, shopify.com forward slash practical. Hello there, Prakapton. Welcome back. I hope you're well. Today we're covering a letter from Seneca, and I'll introduce that letter in a moment. But before I do, if you would be so kind as to pause this episode and give us a review on Apple Podcasts if you use that app to listen to this podcast. We're around 460 reviews in the U.S., and I would love to see that cross 500 before the end of the summer. On the other hand, if you use Spotify to listen to this podcast and you'd like to join the nearly 11,000 others who have reviewed us on Spotify, you can do it there as well. And thank you, because that is an insane number of people. Today's letter is letter 116 and is entitled On Self-Control. Here it is. The question has often been raised whether it is better to have moderate emotions or none at all. Philosophers of our school reject the emotions. The peripatetics keep them in check. I, however, do not understand how any halfway disease can be either wholesome or helpful. Do not fear. I am not robbing you of any privilege which you are unwilling to lose. I shall be kindly and indulgent towards the objects for which you strive, those which you hold to be necessary to our existence, or useful or pleasant. I shall simply strip away the vice. For after I have issued my prohibition against the desires, I shall still allow you to wish that you may do the same things fearlessly and with greater accuracy of judgment, and to feel even the pleasures more than before, and how these pleasures help coming more readily to your call, if you are their lord rather than their slave. But, you object, it is natural for me to suffer when I am bereaved of a friend, Grant some privileges to tears which have the right to flow. It is also natural to be affected by men's opinions and to be cast down when they are unfavorable. So why should you not allow me such an honorable aversion to bad opinion? Well, there is no vice which lacks some plea. There is no vice that at the start is not modest and easily entreated, but afterwards the trouble spreads more widely. If you allow it to begin you cannot make sure of its ceasing. Every emotion at the start is weak. Afterwards, it rouses itself and gains strength by progress. 
It is more easy to forestall it than to forego it. Who does not admit that all the emotions flow, as it were, from a certain natural source? We are endowed by nature with an interest in our own well-being, but this very interest, when overindulged, becomes a vice. Nature has intermingled pleasure with necessary things, not in order that we should seek pleasure, but in order that the addition of pleasure may make the indispensable means of existence attractive to our eyes. Should it claim rights of its own, it is luxury. Let us therefore resist these faults when they are demanding entrance, because, as I have said, it is easier to deny them admittance than to make them depart. And if you cry, one should be allowed a certain amount of grieving and a certain amount of fear. I would reply that certain amount can be too long drawn out, and that it will refuse to stop short when you so desire. The wise man can safely control himself without becoming over-anxious. He can halt his tears and his pleasures at will, but in our case, because it is not easy to retrace our steps, it is best not to push ahead at all. I think Panatius gave a very neat answer to a certain youth who asked him whether the wise man should become a lover. His answer was, As to the wise man we shall see later, but to you and I, who are as yet far removed from wisdom, we should not trust ourselves to fall into a state that is disordered, uncontrolled, enslaved to another, contemptible to itself. If our love be not spurned, we are excited by its kindness. But if it be scorned, we are kindled by our pride. An easily won love hurts us as much as one which is difficult to win. We are captured by that which is compliant, and we struggle with that which is hard. Therefore, knowing our weakness, let us remain quiet. Let us not expose this unstable spirit to the temptations of drink, or beauty, or flattery, or anything else that coaxes and allures. Now that which Panatius replied to the question about love may be applied also, I believe, to all the emotions. Insofar as we are able, let us step back from slippery places, for even on dry ground, it is hard enough to make a sturdy stand. At this point, I know, you will comfort me with that common complaint against the Stoics. Your promises are too great and your counsels too hard. We are mere mannequins, unable to deny ourselves everything. We shall sorrow, but not to any great extent. We shall feel desires, but in moderation. We shall give way to anger, but we shall be appeased as well. And do you know why we have not the power to attain this stoic ideal? It is because we refuse to believe in our own power, nay, of a surety. There is something else which plays a part. It is because we are in love with our vices. We uphold them and prefer to make excuses for them rather than shake them off. We mortals have been endowed with sufficient strength by nature. If only we use this strength, if only we concentrate our powers and rouse them all, or at least not to hinder us. The reason is unwillingness. The excuse, inability. Damn it, Seneca! Why do you have to be so hot and cold with your takes? Last week, I felt moved. Today, I feel annoyed that you've missed something I feel is so glaringly obvious. And I fear your stature in the Stoic literature will find more people listening to you than to me. What is that glaringly obvious thing I speak of? Only that when I ask the question, what is appropriate, I find your reasoning lacking in this letter. When our mother, for example, dies unexpectedly, what is appropriate? 
Surely it depends on our relationship with her, but what would it say of our character if we felt, for a time, great sadness? If we wept for a day and softly lamented her absence for a year, would this speak ill of our character, or would it reflect an appropriate level of emotion? Let me ask the question in a different way, and then a still different way after that. If the man next door to us is ill, and we know that they will die eventually, and that we cannot do anything about this, what would it say of our character if, being renowned for our chicken noodle soup recipe, we brought that man soup daily to comfort him? Would it say that we had a poor character? Would the sage simply say, Oh, but soup is nothing but a calming pleasure to a sick man, and it will not change the end result, so why even bother? That sounds quite nihilistic to me, Seneca. It sounds to me, in that case, that we would be more concerned with thinking about Stoicism than living stoically. And here is the last way I will ask the same question, for those who are differently disposed to thinking about these sorts of things. If Y is the guaranteed outcome, and X will do nothing to change that outcome, but X will make the journey to Y more pleasant, what does foregoing X completely say about our character? That we can be callous, perhaps? And is that of the sage? Is that of good character? Is that of virtue? I would say almost certainly not. So then, our mother dies, that's the example. And her death is the outcome in this example, and our tears can do nothing to change that outcome, for it has already happened. But what do our tears say of our character? That it is the sort of character that loves. And does the sage love? Of course we know that he or she does. For the sage expresses only the good emotions. But good emotions are not always represented by happy faces, are they? Some cry when overjoyed, and so why can we not also cry when love is expressed for the loss of a thing or person. Of course, Stoicism is about virtue and developing a good character, and the Roman flavor does seem quite concerned with not giving way to emotions and acting irrationally and erratically, but Stoicism is not, at its core, about emotion. It is about character. And so emotions, I think, can be reduced to indifferent things, in that we can express them if they don't hurt our character or take us away from virtue and towards vice. Can I be angry? No. Probably not, and we've covered why, but can I mourn the lost presence of someone I love? Can I love, in fact? I believe a Prokopton can, surely. But what about a sage? Can the sage be in love, and can the sage be moved to tears on account of love? I suspect many will disagree when I say it, but I believe the Stoic sage can be moved to tears on account of love, either happiness at a wedding or sadness at a funeral. I can hear the objection, of course, being, but a sage would never be sad that someone died because they understand that the body is temporary and death is logical and nothing was owned or promised forever. So, the sage would just know this and be unaffected due to their perfect knowledge, due to their virtue. Well, like I said before, the sage would cook chicken soup to do nothing more than comfort an ill neighbor, even if that neighbor was, themselves, a sage. And I think, by the same token, the sage would proffer a fresh batch of tears to comfort the living out of their perfect knowledge. Knowing virtue and living life are not the same thing. That's my take on the matter anyway. Thank you for listening today. Hope you've enjoyed it. If you haven't yet, please go to stoicismpod.com forward slash discord 
to join our free listener community. There are nearly a thousand people in that community now, and they're from all over the world, and it is a great place to meet and chat with other Prakatans. Thanks again for listening, and until next time, take care. Thank you.